0: Life is not always fair, but God is always faithful. Life is not always fair, but God is always faithful. Last week uh, on Sunday night, we saw in Acts chapter 24 that the Apostle Paul gave a defense of his actions in Jerusalem before Felix. Felix was the Roman governor of Judea, and Felix had jurisdiction over Jerusalem where Paul... Uh, had supposedly committed crimes where they were supposedly committed. Felix, being the governor over the uh, Roman territory there where Jerusalem was, he, uh, he had Paul brought to Caesarea and They kept him in custody. Apparently Felix kept him there hoping that Paul at some point would bribe him. That never happened. So for two years, two years Paul was in a sort of legal, legal limbo. For two years, until Felix was replaced by Festus. If have your Bible tonight, turn to Acts chapter 25. And we want to see from the Word of God that while life is not always fair, frequently it's not, that God is always faithful. Acts chapter 25. Paul, again, as we pick up here, he's been in prison for two years, um... Maybe not uh, prison in the strictest sense that we would think of, but he's there at the, the, the compound, the royal compound. It seems like he did have some freedom there because they haven't decided what they're going to do yet. Um, but he, is, he, he can't do what he wants to do. He, he's got to do what the Romans tell him for two years. Acts chapter 25. So uh, Felix um, was, the, was the leader. After two years, Festus comes. Verse 1, now when Festus, so he's the new leader, new governor when he was coming to the province after 3 days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem laying weight in the way to kill him so Festus is the new guy he's got to figure out what to do with Paul so he uh, goes to Jerusalem and and hears from the high priest and they say oh send him to us send him to us Um, and the text tells us they want Paul sent there so that they can take his life verse 4 but Festus answered and said that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither or shortly thereafter let them therefore said he which among you are able to go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down into Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews, so we're right back where we were before, two years before, just a new new governor there. Uh, When he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about. They laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Uh, They didn't have any evidence. It's all... All hearsay, things that they made up. None no, of no, it was true. They make these complaints against Paul. Verse 8, while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, neither or nor yet against Caesar have I offended anything at all. He says, I have not done these things that you're saying that I've done. And uh, this is not true. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said... Will you go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? He thinks, I can get rid of this problem by sending him to Jerusalem. This isn't a Roman law problem. This is a, um, a religious problem and, and, and the leaders there want this anyway. So I can, I can probably get favor with them. So well, Paul, will you go to Jerusalem? Then said, Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. He says, I'm not going to do that. Where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong as you very well know. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. He goes, if I've I've actually done what they've said and guilty of dying, then fine, you know, you can kill me if I'm guilty. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Have you appealed unto Caesar? Then unto Caesar you shall go. And After certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. These are, these are Jews, and so they are leaders of the Jews, Jewish nation. They come, and when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, tells him what's going on, and saying, There's a certain man left in bonds by Felix, about whom, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. To whom I answered, it is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die. Before that, he which is accused, have the accusers face to face. So if you're going to say something, you're going to make this accusation, it has to be the person's face. They will have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Therefore, when they were come hither, when the Jews came, uh, without any delay on the morrow, the very next day I sat on the judgment seat, commanded the man to be brought forth. The man to be brought forth against whom the accusers stood up. They brought none accusation of such things as I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition. So He says this is a religious thing. Of one Jesus which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. When Paul had appealed to be reserved under the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Agrippa says, I want to hear this. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So it's just on and on and on. It's never ending with Paul. On the morrow when Agrippa was come and Bernice with great pomp, they entered into the palace of hearing with the chief captains and the principal men of the city. And at Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, you see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. It's been two years. So you, you wonder if at Jerusalem the followers of Jesus uh, were, were doing great things maybe. Maybe that's part of the reason they're still so upset Verse 25, but when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him. Of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord, wherefore I brought him before you, and especially before you, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. He goes, I don't even really know what to say about this guy's case, for it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to signify the crimes laid against him. He goes, I don't know what we're going to send him to Rome and have Caesar judge him for he hasn't done anything wrong. So he goes, can you meet with him? Because I have no idea what we're supposed to say, uh, why, why we're having this court of justice to even occur. So Agrippa, maybe you, knowing the Jews, can, can find something that I can say, well, this is the point of contention. Here is Acts 25. Acts 25. Again, just to recap briefly what we just read. Festus goes to Jerusalem, meets with the authorities. They want Paul moved back to Jerusalem so that he will, can be put to death. Festus says, not so fast. Uh, he's got to stay here in Caesarea for a fair trial. The Jewish leaders come again. They can't substantiate what they had to say with hard evidence. Paul argues against them. Festus realizes this issue has nothing to do with Roman law. He suggests Paul goes to Jerusalem. Paul says, no way. And he appeals to Caesar. All Romans had this right. Festus replies, if you've appealed to Caesar, then to Caesar you will go. How do you sum all of this up? As I was studying and reading for this, the most common theme that came up is this. Most of what is happening to Paul in Acts 25 is a perversion of justice. It's not what anybody would call fair. None of it's fair. And what does God want you to learn? What does God want me to learn? What should we all learn? It is simply that life is not fair. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Not fair. James 1, 2 warns, count it all joy when you fall into many temptations, many kind of trials. That's not fair. In 2 Timothy 2, 3, Paul exhorts Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. When you read the epistles of the New Testament, it becomes clear through his letters that Paul saw unfairness. Paul saw unfairness as part of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus and a herald of the gospel. Paul expected unfairness. He was not shocked by it. Of course, there's another way of thinking about what is fair and what's not. What if God had been fair with me? What if God had been fair to Paul? Then Paul would have died on the Damascus Road. But Paul did not receive fairness, he received mercy. It is not fair that Paul, a persecutor of the early church, received mercy. After all the havoc he caused Jesus, Jesus' earliest followers. I can hear the followers now because what they would have said is what I would have said. They would have replied to God's mercy to Paul by saying no. That is not fair. Paul killed my husband. Paul confiscated our house. Paul hauled my daughter off to prison. In our system of justice, it strives for fairness, doesn't always achieve it, but it strives for fairness. But there will never be, there will never be perfect fairness in this life. People are sinful. So there will be people who make decisions that are wrong. There will be judges who will make the wrong judgments or even take bribes, intentionally make the wrong judgments you've probably had an unfair boss. In fact, if you think through natural disasters and accidents, what do people often say? It's not fair. Why do certain people get hurt when storms come and not others? Unfairness is a part of the Christian life. Jesus warned in scripture repeatedly that marginalization, ostracization, persecution, misunderstanding was the lot of his chosen followers. Not just Jesus, not just Paul, but Peter, James, and John all write that unfairness is a part of the cost of discipleship. But there is another truth. If we learn from what we just read in Acts 25 that life is not fair and that unfair treatment is a theme in Paul's life, there is a greater thing. If it is true that life is unfair, there is a greater theme in Paul's life. And it is this. In an unfair world, God is faithful all the time. All the time. Unfair. Unfair. Paul says, I can't do this. It's not right. And they're still going to haul him off. I mean, we kind of know where this is going. They're still going to do this. They're still, going to, they're still going to make this happen, even though they themselves know this isn't really what these Jews are saying. This isn't true. This isn't right. This isn't. But they're going to do it anyway, and what Paul knows that sustains him is that in an unfair world, God is faithful all the time. Paul perceived that despite the unfairness of this fallen world, God is perfectly just. Psalm 9, 16 tells us that God is known how? He is known by his justice. Revelation sixteen seven tells us that the, the angel declares there, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. God is said to always be just. Not only just, but God is always good. Paul knew that too. David cries in Psalm 86, 5, For you, Lord, are good. You are good and you do good. So Paul knows in an unfair world, no matter what happened, no matter what anybody else did, he knew there is a greater God who is always just and always good to everybody, especially good. He's good to everybody, but he's especially good to those saved by and united with Jesus. Paul writes in Romans eight twenty eight, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. That, that is where Paul found strength to deal with the never-ending unfairness that came his way after following Jesus. Paul's faith is in God who is always just and good. If you believe that, that God is always just and good, say amen. But how did Paul deal with unfairness? By surrendering to the goodness of God. God, whatever they do, whatever they say, whatever happens, you will be good to me, God, this I know. How does Paul react to this unfairness that we've seen not just in this chapter, but over and over again in his ministry? Well, based on what we read in Acts 24 last week, the things that, share, that Paul shares in his prison letters, if you read his prison letters, Epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, those all we think were letters written from Rome or maybe some of them from Caesarea where we are right now? Here from those letters and from Acts, here is how Paul, who knows that God is good and just and that the world is unfair, here is how Paul reacts. If you read those prison epistles and you take Acts 24 from last week. First, he kept his integrity. Felix thought the bribe uh, would break Paul. He thought, I can get Paul to do this at some point. And maybe if he had went for the bribe, maybe for Paul everything would have been better. Maybe he could have given him a bribe and he would have been freed. But Paul knew that was not right. And so he kept the integrity of his heart. For two solid years, time after time, meeting with Paul, Felix wanted that bribe, but it never came. Even when Paul's life was on the line. Paul lived the commands that he wrote to three of the churches from prison. See, we know from Acts that what Paul writes in his letters from prison, that he he lived. I may not, you may not. Paul maybe at times did not. Jesus did perfectly, but Paul did, did while he was in prison, live what he preached. Colossians 1.10, written from prison, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And he was doing that. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Philippians, let your conversation or your manner of life be as becomes worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul kept his integrity. You could not bribe Paul. Secondly, what did Paul do? Knowing that God is good and just, And knowing that the world is unfair, what did he do? Secondly, all we read of this period of Paul's life shows that he was content. Somehow in the midst of this unfairness, he managed to remain content. Reaching the end of his journey, writing to the Philippians from a Roman prison before he was probably beheaded, Paul wrote these words. Not that I speak in respect of want, For I have learned, and boy, we have seen that in Acts. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. How could he write this facing death? Because he knew that in an unfair world, God was good all the time. You know the third thing Paul did? Paul prayed a lot. In the prison epistles, Paul repeatedly mentions prayer for the churches. Repeatedly mentioned prayers for people and situations within those churches. Philippians 1 through 3 and 4 says, I thank my God, remember he's writing this before he dies. He's in this last leg, he's in he's prison. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. Colossians 1.3, Paul says, We give thanks to God in the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Philemon 4, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. This shocked me in studying for this tonight. You know what Paul does not talk about in the prison epistles? I think I'm right. I don't think this, I don't, I don't think this ever comes up. If you find that it does, come tell me. All right, there might be an exception to the rule. But best I could find, Paul in the prison epistles, when he talks about prayer and praying for others and the need for prayer, he never talks about his own release. He, He never. As unfair as all that is, he just never mentions it. In fact, in another of his prison letters, Ephesians, after mentioning prayer as part of the armor of God, he does ask prayer for himself. Does he ask the Ephesians to pray for fairness or for justice or for retribution for those who have wronged him? Does he pray for deliverance from prison? No. He asks them to pray about this. I ask you to pray that for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul deals with an unfair world, but a great, big, good God. In that kind of world, Paul prays a lot. Fourth uh, although Paul just um, says, okay, I, I Felix, like I'm not going to do this. I don't think this is right. I mean, I'm, not, I'm just not going not to do these bribes. I'm not going to do this. And, and I've got to think there were times he thought if I'd just taken this bribe, everything would be okay. And I wonder if down the road, I mean, I don't know. Maybe when there's times that he's alone, he thought if I just would have done that, maybe it would have turned all, out all right. But, Lord, I did what was right, and that's what's got me in this position. But you know what Paul didn't do? Paul refused to have a woe-is-me syndrome. In Philippians, where he has every reason to complain, that letter is one of my favorites, as you know if you come on Wednesday nights. I love Philippians. Why? Because it is filled with joy and rejoicing. It's undergirded. It's written by a prisoner who's about to lose his head, we think. And yet this letter is not undergirded by a spirit of a defeated prisoner. But in Philippians, you find the heart of a man who's been changed by the victorious Holy Spirit of God. Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In fact, in four short chapters, Paul 17 times... In Philippians, gives some variation of rejoicing, and that it's a command and something we are to do. And best I can tell, not one time in all of that does he complain about anything. Paul was much further along in his spiritual journey than me. How about you? He could tell the Philippians in Philippians two fourteen, do all things without murm- murmurings, these little grumblings. These little, well, well you know, what, what about this? What about that? What'd this one do? what that one do? He says, stop all that. Don't do any murmurings. Do without disputings. Who in the church of Philippi could grumble and complain? But you got to think about this. Paul says, don't grumble, don't complain, don't do all this little stuff. Who could complain in Philippi when Paul himself would not grumble and complain even though he was holed up in prison, deprived of his liberty, and experience, experiencing severe deprivation and want. How can you do that when this is where Paul is? Fifth, and this is good for all of us, at the end of the day, Paul did what he could and he left the rest to God. In Philippians 1:12 through 12-14, he says, the things which have happened unto me have fallen out unto the furtherance of the gospel. He may not have known that, all the way along, but as he reaches the end here, he, he says, I know what I have believed. I know now for sure these things have happened that the gospel could be further. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all places and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord have grown or waxed confident by my bonds. They now are much more bold to speak the word without fear because they could say, if Paul is in that prison, If In the midst of unfairness, Paul has continued to preach the gospel. If he does that, and he can say these things from prison, about to die, then I can go and be bold to speak the word of Christ as well. Paul is in prison in Rome. And what does he do, best we can tell? He witnesses to everyone he comes into contact with. It was so that even in Caesar's own palace, In a cell, in a prison, we believe a group of believers probably one, and nurtured by Paul right there. Paul could not preach anymore in the streets and byways of Rome. That place of ministry had passed. He couldn't do that anymore. But he could do what he could do, and he did it. The last thing Paul did is he let God produce the fruit of the Spirit in his life. I'm sure Paul struggled like all of us. But at some point he said, the resentment, the anger, the bitterness, got to let it go. Got to let it go. And he did. You can tell in the letters he let it go. He had written the Galatians a few years earlier. He'd asked that the Holy Spirit be allowed to produce the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, and self-control. And the Holy Spirit did that in Paul. Because in prison, Paul lived out what he had earlier taught the Galatians. Did Paul live that out with Barnabas? I don't think he probably did. You guys kind of know my take on that. I think both of them were right and wrong. That's my guess. I think with Barnabas... I think he realized, "Ah, I didn't do this right. But when he was in prison, I think the Holy Spirit had done the work and he'd allowed him to. Paul lived out what he had taught the Galatians earlier. So this week, you'll probably go through some unfair things. You'll be tempted to think, woe is me. But what you need to do is look to one greater than unfairness. Look to the Lord God, who is good all the time in this unfair world. If God is good, say amen. And that's the word I got for you tonight. Let's see, so come on, let's sing a song. We'll close. Why we go ahead and stand right now? Maybe there's something unfair going on in your life. You don't know where it's going to lead or what's going to happen. You just need to say God whatever happens I trust that you are good and I will do what I can do and at the end of the day that's all I can do but God I'm going to trust you if you need to pray that prayer tonight listen you come Father God I ask right now that you would use this word that you would use this light of scripture this example of Paul Lord we have journeyed with Paul this group has journeyed with him God Help us to learn the most important lessons of his life, to trust you. Lord God, I ask this in Jesus' name.